we're playing slow, so we're playing through. Hosted by Bob Ballou and Carl Nicholson. Brought to you by Horseshoe Bay Resort. Play the famous Texas Triangle. Championship golf at its finest. Horseshoe Bay Resort. Well, good morning and welcome to your Saturday, April 15th edition of Playing Through on the Horn. Good morning. This is Playing Through on the Horn presented by Horseshoe Bay Resort. If it's been a long time since you've been to our sponsor, our friends, our buddies, Horseshoe Bay Resort, take some time to get out there. This amazing springtime weather built for fun in the sun. There's never been a better time to get to Horseshoe Bay Resort. Everything's completely renovated. Everything's anew. The beach club, the yacht club, the three golf courses, Ram Rock, Apple Rock, Slick Rock are all in peak form right now. And it's an amazing place to take the entire family. I know we're doing a lot of stay and play packages with Horseshoe Bay Resort, and they've always got something going on. I know last week, Easter weekend, was the balloons over Horseshoe Bay Hot Air Balloon Festival. It was an amazing time there. They've got the Beer by the Bay Country Music Festival coming up later this summer. It's just always something around the corner at Horseshoe Bay. Uh, Our great friend, Anthony Holder, Director of Golf Operations, let us know that Harry Higgs was on property, the PGA Tour's own Harry Higgs, personable Texan, great guy, uh, was part of a contest for Golf Channel Golf Pass, I believe it was. And a couple of lucky uh, followers of, of that media outlet got to play golf with Harry Higgs. So, so in the coming weeks, I think we'll be able to reveal a little bit more about their experience and uh, what Harry Higgs thought of Horseshoe Bay Resort. So support our sponsor, support Horseshoe Bay Resort. Check them out at hsbresort.com. Uh, always an amazing time out there. Do yourself a favor. Uh, go check it out. Play some golf. Get some fun in the sun. Get your toes in the sand. Get out on Lake LBJ. Always a great time. We're going to get into some golf talk here. I am Carl Mickelson, your host of Playing Through. Bob Ballou is out of town this week at Bandon Dunes. I am told that if you walk all the courses at Bandon Dunes, uh, as that's the only way, you don't take carts at Bandon Dunes, you walk either carrying your bag, pull cart, push cart, caddy, four caddy, that sort of thing. Uh, 75 miles is what somebody put in last week on their Bandon Dunes trips. Pretty amazing stuff there. Uh, but we miss Bob, but I think we're going to make up for it. I think you're going to like what we have for you in the second segment. Uh, great conversation with a broadcasting legend. Uh, got to sit down uh, for a short period of time with Gary McCord, uh, broadcasting legend, as you know, from CBS fame. He's now got a podcast with his buddy, Peter Costas. They're able to uh, do uncensored versions of all the great stories that, that they've got through the years with David Ferry, all the players on tour, all the cool things that have happened at Whisper Rock. Uh, they can kind of go behind the scenes. So we had, a, we had an enjoyable time waltzing through the years with Gary McCord. You know, he's got a fast moving mind. He's got tons of great stories. You know, so many of the things uh, in the movie Ten Cup were based on the exploits of Gary McCord, the Pelican getting knocked off the stoop. Uh, blowing up on the hole. The pivotal scene in Tin Cup is a Gary McCord story. So we're, we had we had a blast talking with him. We'll get to that later. I know one of the things a lot of people want to get into, we all kind of have that Masters hangover right now, right? We wish there was a little bit more Masters to watch. It's the most special weekend in golf. It's this almost spiritual, religious time we have enjoying the Masters. It's one of the most fun weekends of the year. And the Masters give it. We had an amazing, it was quirky with the weather, uh, it was an unusual year for the Masters, a little bit truncated coverage because of the weather delays. Uh, the trees falling was weird, and I heard some inside scoop on that from some of my media friends that says they could have probably been on the course about another hour or longer 
it wasn't wind and weathers, but but it but those trees did fall, and the Augusta National did want to make sure that there was no proof of those trees uh, ever having fallen, and that that was the case for anybody you asked to walk along there by the seventeenth tee. Uh, the, there there was very little evidence that those trees ever ever stood or fell, but let's get into it. Uh, John Rom, I mean, there's the epitome of a worthy champion, right there of the Masters. He's the most dominant player in the game. Four stroke win by John Rom. Wouldn't have surprised anybody if you if you said that at the outset of the week that John Rom's going to be twelve under and the rest of the field uh, starts at eight. T two would be eight, uh, but. Watching the tournament, though, it looked like it was Brooks Kepkes to win, to take by the horns and go, and he just sort of had that thing that happens to us. I know some of you guys play a lot of golf. Some of you you played match play. Even when you're playing well, then there's that guy. He just comes knocking. He doesn't go away. He doesn't make bogeys. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. Then all of a sudden, you can't keep pace with a guy, and he doesn't go anywhere. And that's who John Rahm has been. He just doesn't make a lot of mistakes right now. He and Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy – and you could throw Patrick Cantlay, you could throw some other names in there, uh, are just having an amazing season right now. But yeah, th- those three really are at the top. There is a big three right now, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy. But in some senses, there's a top 30 at, 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 on the major levels of, of professional golf right now. It's a rich time on the tour with a lot of talent, but Rahm is a very worthy winner. I, th- I, I think... 1A is the live tour. I mean, we you, nobody likes to really politicize things in golf, but Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepka finishing T2 and Patrick Reed finishing third uh, says a lot about uh, – with, with Patrick Reed at top five, I apologize. Uh, it says a lot about what those guys uh, wanted to show. I mean, they're, they're not playing marquee tournaments. They're playing no-cut 54-hole events. We really wanted to get to the Masters and see what those guys had in the tank. And they showed us, you know, they showed us they can still compete at a high level. Augusta National showed it that showed us that that it can still bring out magic in people. If you watch that Phil Mickelson, Jordan Spieth, Spieth pairing, where they went out and and shot the the scores that they did, Phil Mickelson to go from one under to finish the tournament eight under to to shoot an electrifying. 65 to 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 close to close the the event for him and put a little heat on Brooks Kepka and John Rom r- r- really sort of changed the complexion about how they had to look at their second nine there at Augusta National really made a name for himself was quiet all weekend they said he didn't say more than two or three words sat by himself at the champions dinner uh kind of an unusual week for Phil didn't get a lot of interview time but showed he's one of those guys if you love Augusta National deeply. Sometimes it loves you back. And that's what happened in that pairing with Jordan Spieth and Phil Mickelson that was just utterly electric and really brought magic. The same way that, that the Texas A&M fifth-year senior, Sam Bennett, the amateur, showed us sparks we haven't seen since 1999 when Jack Nicholas was in contention at the Masters, way past his prime. And Matt Kuchar competed at the Masters, a Georgia Tech guy, way ahead of his prime, way ahead of schedule. And we haven't seen a performance in the Masters since that Matt Kuchar performance in 99. And, or is that 98? I want to, we'll have to look that up. Is it 98 or 99? It's one of those where, where those guys lit it up. I, I believe it's Marco Mira's year, which means leads me to think that was, ni- that was 1998. Nevertheless, Sam Bennett played big time golf and shows us that he, he belongs out here. He really belongs out with, with, with these players. Hopefully we see a lot more of Sam Bennett. Great young man. Just just love his story. 
Lo- love everything he's been to, where, where, where the game has taken him, where he's taken himself. Uh, just another uh, element of the Masters. There was just so much. I, I, you know, if, if you're up for the young guys, I love the way Cameron Young and Victor Hovland played. Sahith so so Tagala, you know, those guys, you know, there's just a contingent. Matthew Fitzpatrick, your your reigning U.S. Open championship, acquitted himself well. So I think the stars were out at the, at the Masters. It was an incredible, credible week. Uh, just a really good time uh to watch it it lived up to it a, a little bit of, the, of a bummer with the rain delays but what you got was double masters coverage on sunday you got to wake up to the masters and you got to see the sunset with the masters too so maybe in a way it gave us a little bit of a bonus but but a great time great prospects for for the other three majors this year people are playing at a really peak level i mean just the leaderboard is star studded and i think it's going to be that way i think the way the pga tour has these uh Elevated events set up leading into the majors it has really paid off well. I think the product is as good as it's ever been. And then you can say what you will about live golf. I mean, obviously their guys can still play. They can still play at an elite level. So there's a lot to talk about. Uh, speaking of elevated events, you've got San Antonio's own Jimmy Walker leading the RBC Heritage. And you're wondering, wait, 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 wait. How is Jimmy Walker in the RBC Heritage? How did this even come to be? Well, he was ranked 59th on the, on the money list last year. Nine guys left for live. That put him in the top 50. He's making the most of it in this appearance this week at the RBC Heritage. He's leading the golf tournament. He's he's got he's 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 12 under. He's pacing the field. That would be an amazing feel-good story for, for the health issues, personal things Jimmy Walker's been through to get himself back to an not, not just not just a while the cats are away off off schedule event. For Jimmy Walker to win an elevated event would be a boost for his career, boost for his season, and really get him back in the conversation. We forget Jimmy Walker's a PGA championship and every bit deserving of being out there with the elite players, the John Roms, the uh, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, all, all those guys. Great to see Jimmy Walker back in the mix. Great to see some Texas guys at the top of the leaderboard. As I mentioned, uh, we've got an amazing segment coming up for you with the legendary, legendary Gary McCord. So stay tuned for that. We'll we'll be back in just a little bit with my conversation with Gary McCord. We'll get you into the rest of the day. Like we said, orange and white scrimmage coverage starts here on the Horn at 11 a.m. So stick with us this morning. Listen to us throughout the afternoon. There's going to be a lot of uh, talk about the team and and individual players. So you're going to want to know all the insight from, from the personalities here on the Horn. Stay with us. We are playing through on the Horn presented by Horseshoe Bay Resort. Stay tuned. Welcome back to this edition of Playing Through on the Horn. Bob Ballou is out at Bandon Dunes this weekend. I am Carl Mickelson holding it down. But as promised, we've got a very special treat for you this segment, a special guest with us. Participant, player, professional in 400 PGA Tour events, but you know him more from his broadcasting career on CBS. Legend, funny man, author, man of many talents, Gary McCord is here with us to talk some golf and talk about his new podcast with his partner, Peter Costas, one of the great, you know, legendary instructors of the game, one of the Golf Digest Top 50 instructors. They've got Costas and McCord off their rockers, which has gone viral. You've only got four episodes, but I have seen the internet blow up multiple times about some of these stories 
some scatological, some just really good golf stories, making it to the headlines. Uh, how tell 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 us what it's been like for you and Peter Costas to have a format where you can tell three plus decades of the best stuff that happened that you could never talk about because you were leashed on air. What's it been like? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, It's, uh, it's quite, um, it's probably a lot like just taking your clothes off in public. Just, (laughs) Hey, here we go. Okay. Now I can do all this stuff we want to do, but under the guise of uh, CBS, you, you couldn't, you couldn't do it any way, shape or form as towards the end of our careers, as, uh, as things get tighter, you, I, I, I saw myself, I, I had myself editing my own words before I said them. And I'd never done that before in my career. Right. And, but it just got worse and worse and worse uh, because of, you know, with the woke, who are you going to offend? And, and uh, is CBS going to get pissed off at you and everything else? So it, it became it became kind of a collision between network and uh, the ability to paint a picture as you had done in the past, which I couldn't do now in the future because I just winged it at first. It was just, well, I didn't care what came out or anything else, but as you do something long enough and the restraints start to get tighter and tighter around your neck that um, you've, uh, you have, you have to change the pattern. You have to change the uh, the uh, the pace of it and the description of it and i did it for 30 what, 34 years or something like that it was a right. ball um and but i really like doing this now because i can do any freaking thing i want right. on podcast and produce it direct it do whatever and uh we've got a great producer director and, and mike abrams and then peter costas and i we just we're in the back of the range one day and you know we were talking about getting fired and uh, I said, how long has it been? He said, well, COVID and everything, it's been a couple of years. I go, as all old guys do, I said, Ron, what are, you, what are you doing to keep yourself busy? He goes, I'm giving lessons. And I kind of get tired of that. I go, me too. I'm just sitting here doing jack squat. And I, and one thing led to another. Well, you know, why not? Everybody's got a podcast. Let's go do a podcast just to stay, you know, um, verbally and mentally alive. And so that's what we did. And we're having fun with it. And uh, we'll see how long it lasts. I just caught the Faraday episode. That was great. And, and I think if you're a real golf nut, which I am, I, I, I've i been playing since the mid 80s, since I was a little kid. I, we obviously grew up with you guys. We commiserate with you guys. But but, but, to, but to see Faraday on, on his, his balcony there in Tucson and you guys are from wherever you are. It's just, it's a great behind the scenes. And then let alone the stories you guys can get into from your years of working together. I, I I just think this is going to be a treasure for people who love the game, love to laugh, and and really just want to get get to know you guys in a different way. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, again, it is it is it is quite a, um, it, you know, you've got you've got your easel there, and it's it, you can paint anything you want on it, and you know, doing it any any way, shape, or form, any medium you want. So to me, that's tantalizing uh, because. Right. I, I, you know, I want to do things, you know, totally differently. Like <laughs> I've, I'm at a, a very nice club here in Scottsdale and um, where there's a lot of really good players, 37 tour pros here. So the other day I just walked out with my metal detector and started metal detecting all up and down the range, seeing if I could find any gold watches, any, any rings, anything else <laughs> along the ground. Did and you I find anything? Guys, I found 
when I go up in the mountains here around the golf course, um, they used to shoot movies here back in the 40s and the 50s, cowboy movies. Mm -hmm. So I found a couple of their sites. I found uh, I found some old cartridges in the 50s that were um, that were uh, blanks. And we looked them up and so forth and so on. I'm looking for gold out here and all the reservoirs and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. So um, that's basically I'm going to do my interviews with guys that play golf. I've got another metal detector. We're going to go up metal detecting, try not to get bit by rattlesnakes, and we'll talk. I love um, that. You know, Nor the comedian Norm MacDonald used to say, why is it a talk late night talk shows? It's a desk, a chair, and maybe another chair and maybe multiple chairs. Kevin Nealon started doing these podcasts where they hike. They they walk together and they walk and talk. There you go. So it doesn't. There you go. I love the metal detecting concept. That that is fantastic. It, yeah, it's just it's something because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure none of these guys have ever done it. Okay, <laughs> they're, they're uh, quite uh, socioeconomically in the higher status, and uh, I don't think one of them has ever put uh, headsets on and 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 tried to figure out between. And these new metal detectors will actually ring differently when they hit metal, gold, silver, um, up here, zinc, all those things. So it'll be quite an education for them. It will. I don't I don't think metal detecting or uh, can collecting comes into play for the kind of guys you run with. In, in the I don't think so. Course. No. But no. Uh, you, you touched on something interesting, your unique perspective on things. You're kind of a little bit, you know, north by northwest, if you will, um, which which is you know, been a great boon to your career and it has taken you to amazing places in your career. You started in the same place the legendary comedian Steve Martin did. You guys went to the same high school. You knew each other. So the magic is there. The the unique sense of humor is there. Is there something in the water? What? How, how intertwined is the Steve Martin thing with you? Um, nothing other than the fact that I went to high school with him. He was, he was the head cheerleader at Garden Grove High School, head of the drama class. And as you know, when, when you're an adolescent, especially this, we're talking about 1963. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're growing up, everybody was fairly naive back in the early 60s. I mean, really naive. You know, it was Aussie and Harry. And picket fences, you know, the whole deal. The mom had the, the nice dress on when you, when dad came home from work. And it was just Aussie and Harry. And then I saw crazy. And I didn't know what crazy was. But this guy was different. This guy was really different. And I kept watching him. And I, I was on the basketball team, freshman basketball team. So he, they were in there doing their stuff, cheerleading stuff. And I kept watching this guy. And then he was at Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And he magic, was... Right? Magic shows, right? He, he had a magic shop that he worked on on the weekends. I think it was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the magic shop was inside. There's a bridge that goes over to Fantasyland. And he, there's a magic shop right around the corner there in the back. And he would get his tray out in the middle of that bridge. He'd do, the, um, he'd do his uh, animal balloons on his head with the arrow through his head and start doing And I'd sit there and watch. i just sit there and watch. And uh, I became very infatuated with it. And uh, that was it. He wouldn't, I don't think he knows I went there. I've called his agent three times trying to get him on a show. I had yet to get a call back from anybody. So obviously he doesn't remember me, but uh, he was brilliant. He was the first guy that I saw as a deviant and I liked it. So you were, you were inspired by that. I probably was. Yes. That's interesting. Well, let's get into a little bit of the broadcasting stuff. 
you know, it, it's interesting because you've seen it all. Like I said, you, you guys got fired. They took a lot of heat for that, CBS did. And the product waned a little bit. Now you've got your your Emmelmans and your Colt Nose, and they, they've sort of, in my opinion, they've righted the ship. It's a better product now, but they really went through some growing pains without you guys. But take us back to the beginning. I learned something about you. It was the Memorial Tournament back in the 80s. And if not for a wayward uh, putt by a guy named Bob Eastwood, who, who used to be a staple on the tour, uh, your your career might have gone a different way as far as broadcasting goes. Uh, yeah, that was um... – uh, it's how I got the job, and a job was with CBS was totally happen chance. I was at Colonial uh, during the golf tournament. I was flying Monday to to Muirfield. Muirfield, Jack Nicholas's golf tournament in Columbus, Ohio, was a designated event. Uh, you had to be high enough on the money list to get in a designated event. I wasn't high enough on any money list anywhere to get in anything. But I was one of the three player directors chosen by the tour to run the tour, which in itself is a frightening concept. Um, so I was in an airplane going to the tournament. Uh, all the boys in first class were all the CBS guys, Frank Chikanian, Ken Venturi, Pat Summerall, Ben Wright, yada, yada, yada. And I'm in 37C in the back. <laughs> and halfway through the flight, I get a half-drunk bottle of wine. Uh, so I go up to thank him. And while I'm walking up towards the first class, I'm thinking, of, I've got to, I got to, Wednesday is the last time I'm on PGA Tours bill because our policy board meetings are over. And I got to go to Washington, D.C., which is very expensive, very expensive. And uh, I was under a very tight budget from shooting 76 every day. So I, I real fast, I went, Frank, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, I, I'm one of the policy board members. I'm making decisions as to contracts for CBS. At that time, it was CBS, ABC, ESPN, and all the golf coverage. And I said, I know nothing about televised golf. Is there a chance I could come and sit and watch you this weekend do it uh, an event and see how it works? It might help me better prepare for the next boat, whatever we do. And he goes, ah, well, okay, okay, fine. Uh, check in, check into the hotel, come on on Friday. So I got what I wanted. I got to go off their bill, check in their hotel. Um, and, um, and then went on Friday, and as soon as I got in the trucks, which are big trucks, giant trucks, full of monitors. And there's 10 guys sitting there pushing buttons. I still don't have an idea what they're doing. And Frank was there and I sit down behind him. He didn't know it. Somebody said, hey, McCord's here. And he turned, he said, go out to 16. And I said, no, I, I, Frank, I wanted to watch, see how you do this, how you coordinate, how, what goes on. Play on the wall, right? Get out to 16. And Frank Shukinian is is um, um, we used to call him the Ayatollah. He, he was all knowing, all. he's the guy that started Brought uh, broadcasting golf on television, um, and he was brilliant. And I went, oh Jesus! So I started walking out to sixteen. So I started walking back to the tee at sixteen and part three, because I figured they needed a spotter. And a spotter is a caddy, basically missed a cut. So on the weekend, uh, we give him a job. He get I think fifty dollars a day at that time. You put a headset on, and then you go looking. Joe Lacaba's caddy for Freddie Couples, and and he says, you know, seven iron. Um, and we go in the in the microphone. He's hitting seven iron. That goes up to the tower, and those idiots up there then can say, "Well, I know he's hitting seven iron." So blah blah blah. So I I start to walk back there, and all of a sudden, Vern starts yelling at me. He says, "Hey, get up here, get up here." So I turn around and walk to the green. I said, "What?" And he goes, "Come on up." So I walked up, and he handed me a headset, and he said, "Frank wants to try as an announcer." I said, "What?" 
And I figured real quick, because I had four years of college and graduated, that being an ex-caddy on the ground, which is not bad, but getting 50 bucks a day or going up in the tower might lead to something considerably better. So I went up. I had um, I, I had a lot of fun. I had no clue what was going on. I don't know who was talking to me. And it's really confusing when you're saying something and there's voices. You know, I've got enough voices anyway in my head. Right. And I've got these other voices going nuts. And to try to figure that out in a weekend was it was fantastic and a lot of fun. And I remember the, the, the funny thing was at the end, uh, Vern Lundquist was up there and somebody was on the hill above 16, hit over the green, this part three, just before they had the lake there. And the greens are really fast at Memorial. Lightning. And yeah, and Vern goes, Gary, what you got? And I said, well, all you people out there, here's what he's got. I want you to get a ball, get a wedge, go out to your front lawn, chip it on your driveway, start hauling for it to bite. That's what he's got. And Vern started laughing and everything. And Frank, after I was done, they were gone, the last group. And he goes, get in here. I need to talk to you. Uh-oh. So I was waiting for the telecast to get over. I go back to the trucks. He said, sit down. And I sit down. And he goes, all right. And so what are you doing next week? I go, I'm playing, uh, I'm playing Kemper in Washington, D.C., he says, great. He says, uh, you'll miss the cut. Come on up in the tower again. So, so I said, really nice. Thank you. And um, so the, I did that for three years. They paid me $500 a weekend wow. for three years. So I played golf. And if I missed the cut, I went up and did television. And then finally, you know, I went like this. Okay, enough of that. Uh, I don't, I doing both of this. I'm not good at one. And I'm definitely not good at the other either. Uh, I, I Give me a job or I'm going to go back playing again. And that was it. No, and yeah, then you know, nearly forty years later, here we are. You're 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 a legend in the business. One of the things is you have an eye for talent. There, you know, you 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 picked Faraday, which you know, which you you kind of brought him to the table. I think you did a little bit of the same with Colt. No, so you kind of have an eye for talent on the broadcasting side. But one of the things I didn't know is how not only were you a star in Tin Cup, you were a technical consultant. You recruited talent. You were deeply involved in the production of Tin Cup. It was a legendary golf movie. A golf movie that's aged better than I thought it would. It, it, it's, it's, it holds up. But, but you were intricately involved in that production and not only getting Kevin Costner to, to actually look like a golfer, but getting some of the tour talent out there and, and really just integral to telling the story, right? Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was interesting. I was hired as the technical director. And... Um, and I, I was I was plenty busy at that time. I was I was uh, playing. I was uh, uh, I was in the broadcasting end of it. I was doing a bunch of corporate outings, and I get this script from Warner Brothers from my agent. And he says, "Hey, I got a script, a movie script with your name on it." I go, "What?" I go, "Well, send it to me." So I get it, and it's um, cover letter on it. Warner Brothers uh, working title is Ten Cups, starring Kevin Costner, written written and directed by Ron Shelton. But so I get in the first time you ever get a movie script and they say you're in it, you go real fast to see how many times you see your name. You right. don't read anything. So then I read the damn thing afterwards. And a lot of the stories in there I did. I yeah. had actually so, done yeah, And that's the thing I didn't touch on. Not only were you intricately involved in the production, a lot of what Roy McAvoy was, was pulled out of your life and career and your hijinks. The pelican on his roost and the blowing up and make, what did you make a 15 on? You, you went thermonuclear on a I, hole. And, I made it. Yeah, I went nuclear on the 16th hole at, at uh, Memphis. And that's what I, so I called Ron Shelton up, who I didn't know, but I knew who he was, right? Well, Obviously, who Ron Shelton is. And um, the first question was, Ron, where the hell did you get these stories? 
And I, he goes, which ones? I said, okay, the ending, when he keeps sitting a ball in the water. Uh, I read you did that. No one knows I did that. You know, I'm out there. No one's following me. No one's following my career. Goes, yeah, I read it, I read it in a magazine. And I go, really? I had no idea. And then the Pelican story, what, there was no chance anybody knew. It was only four guys that were in this condo that we'd rented, and we were on a rainout. And, um, you know, I went to the back bedroom to take a leak. We were playing gin. It was pouring down rain. And I start to walk out, and I look out, and we're right on a in Pensacola, Florida. We're right on a canal, and there's a we got a wharf out there that we're the house we rented, mm -hmm. and um, Pelican landed out there, about 150 yards away, and we're gambling anyway. And I'm in the back, my clubs are right there, and I go, "Hey boys, I got a bet for you. Let me move some furniture and open those windows. I bet you I can knock that Pelican off his perch in 10 shots. You give me uh, whatever. I don't know how much money we had up, but." There was enough to pay attention. So I got in the back and, and I had 10 shots. First shot I hit was unbelievable. They had a four out of the back bedroom, down the hallway, over the couch, through the sliding glass doors, over the wooden railing, right at the son of a bitch. And it went about a foot over his head. And the Pelican took up literally the best shot I've ever hit in my life. And it had to be to a condo into a canal over a deal. So anyway, again, I there was four guys that knew, and this is before social media sure none of that gets out it doesn't get around right. could you ever in your wildest dreams picture that making it into the, the plot of a movie no which is which is you know it it's frightening to me <laughs> and he goes and and then to shoot it where we did and how we had to do it in a bar that they built especially right. for that and to shoot at three pelicans that were trained i didn't know they had trained pelicans we had three trained pelicans and a bazooka gun, all sorts of things. And to to watch that in three days and all the effort that was made and the and the and the dollar amount to build these things well, for that stupid scene was unbelievable. Was it camera tricks or could Costner actually pull off that shot? Because my understanding is you guys got him to a, to a reasonable skill over over that period of time where he could, he could actually pull off some shots. Did did, did he do that one? <sighs> Let me answer it this way. Okay. Um, there was uh, a, when you shoot a scene like that, that took three days to shoot that. Um, when you shoot a movie scene, it's usually a minute and a half in the movie. Right. One day is a minute and a half. Right. So we spent, I believe, three days in that bar doing that. And, and the first day, Kevin was having a tough time getting a wiffle ball which was hit because there was people sitting everywhere out the two doors. Okay. Um, and, and you realize that when you start shooting at seven in the morning, this is going to go on forever. It's going to go late because camera shots, lighting, everything, right? Everything. Mm -hmm. And Kevin couldn't get it out the doors. Couldn't get out the doors. So I went to Ron Shelton. I said, Ron, can we do a two shot? So we're doing a master. When you do a master, the camera locks on and it shows the whole scene, all participants from that angle, right? Mm -hmm. right. Shows and then, but if you do a cut, you can cut to Kevin taking a swing. Okay, that's a cut. I said, can we just cut, have him swing and hit it? I'll give it a whack and I can hit it out there and knock the pelican out. That's easy. Out of the bar, not kill anybody. And then we can go back to Kevin in the follow through. Well, the deal is, the movie stars like to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. I learned that real early and with all with with everybody that 
they will act according to how they hit the shot. And it was an unbelievable experience to watch that and to get them to do that. Not okay? surprising that it took three days in that case then. it it uh, He had to hit. Now, he didn't play golf. He played right. golf, he told me, like 12 times with his father-in-law. That's it. Wow. So he wasn't used to hitting golf shots or doing anything with a golf ball. Okay? And it... Honestly, God, if you look at him and you're telling me he only played 12 times and you watch how good I was going, we were playing nine holes, you shooting even par. I mean, it's unbelievable really? what an athlete he was. Wow. Uh, but but they have, they I learned that they only act after they do something right. So all these shots, these guys, the movie stars would have to hit it right to yeah. act. And yeah. then they would go. Okay. So sometimes that became a little arduous when you're out there shooting because this is a very, uh, when you're again a master shot behind them and that ball is gonna they're gonna follow where it goes that takes a while so the whole thing was interesting and again going back to the question wasn't social media i had no idea where he got this he said he read it somewhere i never read it anywhere so i I'd still to this day i don't know where he got it but he said he read it that i did that unbelievable Let's switch gears. The Masters just happened, and, and we've got an elevated event this week at the RBC Heritage. Um, I asked your friend Faraday one time, you know, when Tiger was hurt, you know, one of the times Tiger was hurt and the tour was kind of fumbling around looking for, for a narrative, does the tour need a dominant star? And Faraday stopped me and says, Tiger's not just dominant. He's the 100-year freaking flood. It's just not a guy who's playing head and shoulders above the rest for a couple of weeks. What do you make of what we're calling the big three? Or I mean, I feel like there's there might be a big thirty. There's some there, there's just the tour's booming with talent right now. What, what's what's your impression of the state of the tour and the the stars and 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 what 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 can what can we expect from these guys in terms of the legacies? Guys like John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy are going to be able to leave. Well, I think honestly, the star of the show is Liv. Uh, if you look at it that way, um, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, uh, come, yeah, come I mean, the Masters, yeah, they're, they're all the big of a winner, sudden. Right? The first time in our existence, we've we've got a rival tour. We've got, you know, the monopoly is gone, and now there's somebody gauge it against. So look, look what's happened. I mean, both tours, the DP tour and our tour, the the prize money has has gone skyward, rocketed, you know, in a year. Now a lot of that was due to the seven hundred and thirty six million dollars per year the PGA Tour is getting through two thousand thirty from right. the media rights that started in twenty two. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden now the tour is, you know, it's taking on a whole different look. It has gone from the all exempt tour from 125 guys. Now it's shrunk back to the old days to where 50 and then, you know, the guys you add on are probably going to get to 65, something like that. So there's shrinkage in, in this situation. And there's also shrinkage in as far as the, as the the title sponsors that have tournaments. Well, is that worrying you? Are, are, yes. are there are there specific yes. events that you're like five years from now? Is there enough sponsorship dollars to go around? To, I mean, you've been to all these cities. You you have a, you have an affinity for for a lot of these places. Can, can, is it is the is the elevated the has and have nots model sustainable for the tour? Uh, that that's going to be an interesting because that's all due to competition and right. how bad they want to stay there. But when you start dividing this tour into the haves and the have-nots from the player standpoint and from the title sponsors, uh, you can imagine that if one tournament um, is get old we'll take Honda this year and Honda mm-hmm. pulled out, Honda has got a tournament in front of it 
and they got a tournament behind it that were designated. There are $20 million tournaments. Right. And they're, they've got an $8 million purse or whatever. And the designated tournaments, these guys have to show up. So all of a sudden, you've got no field and no money. Well, how long are you going to support that? We found out the Honda didn't support it very long. They got the hell out. And they were one of our longest sponsors. So that's a pretty good indicator. That's your first um, domino, right? The cost, yeah. And, and the cost effectiveness of what's going on and who's going to dominate this. So this tour is getting smaller with the amount of players that are exempt. And maybe the tour is going to get smaller as uh, as we look at the title sponsors. Who's putting up the money and who's putting up the tournaments? You can tell me to get bent for asking, but I think the listeners are wondering, and now I'm wondering, have you had a live offer on the table to, to join your buddy Faraday as, as, as those discussions come to the table? Yep. yep. How'd, you, how'd you respond? My response, I talked to Norman two or three times. Um, the last time he was going to call me, and that they had no television network. This was in December of last year. Mm -hmm. They still had not got a television network. And I, he told me that everybody was signed to a one-year deal on their on their crew, uh, broadcasting crew, except for Faraday and except for uh, Jerry Fultz. And so we're going to take a long look. And he, he never called back. But my position was, I'm too old to get in an airplane, and I don't want to do it at 75, to go to Riyadh, to go to Adelaide, to go to Bangkok, to go all over the freaking place. Now, if you did a studio out of the United States mm -hmm. and David and I got in there with the host, because golf is going to be done like that in the future. I, I can't yeah. believe they're still putting people on site. It's just Look how good a Manning cast is. If you put, Manning cast is for football. Manning cast, same way. And if you put us in a studio and let's say here where I am in Scottsdale or Dallas or wherever, you can never tell we're not there. Absolutely could not tell. All I need is somebody on the ground to tell me what the lie looks like and where the wind's blowing and get somebody else to do the interviews. And everything else is done studio. They're doing it. They're doing most of the Super Bowls now. A lot of them are doing it right out of Scottsdale here, out of the studios here, which are um, the most sophisticated in the world. So you, it, it's just a way to do it now. You don't have to be on site. Too much cost. Golf doesn't excite the riot as far as ad rates and everything else to make it something that's very sustainable as far as a revenue stream. So let's get rid of all the crap and quit flying guys in and out, building huge, huge uh, uh, play huts above the holes and stuff like that. Put them in a studio anywhere and you can't tell, can't tell. Anyway, that makes all I the said, sense you, in the world. You build a studio here and we'll get David and a host and we do it from the United States. I'll take a look. That was that, that I didn't tell that to Greg. That was my feeling. If he was going to call, that's what I was going to say. But I'm not. I'm not getting an airplane like David. I talked to David three days ago. You know how you doing? Where are you going next? Adelaide, Bangkok. You know, whoa, man, I don't want to do that. Those are miles. So, miles that miles. would be the reason. Yeah, that would be the reason. But he never called back after two or three phone calls to uh, to get David and I together. That was their deal. Fair enough. Well, you're, they're not going to have you on the CW for the live, but where people can find you is with your good friend Peter Costas on Costas, Costas and McCord off their rockers on 
YouTube, anywhere that podcasts are available. This It's an excellent podcast. It's no holes barred. It's fun. The stories are amazing. Gary McCord, can't thank you enough for spending time with us. It's been delightful. I could do this for another hour. It's going to have to have you back sometime with Peter. And it's been a delight. But thank you so much for coming on. Carl, thank you, my friend. I'll see you later and you take care. Thanks so much. That's okay. Gary McCord, star of Costas McCord, Off Their Rockers. Again, you can find them on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcast. We'll be back in just a second with the third segment of Playing Through on the Horn, presented by Horseshoe Bay Resort. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Playing Through on the Horn, presented by Horseshoe Bay Resort. You can find our friends at Horseshoe Bay Resort at hsbresort.com. Anytime you want to book a trip out there, do a stay-and-play package, just spend some time out on Lake LBJ, near Lake LBJ, in the pools, on the golf courses, in the Whitewater 360 uh, 18-hole putting course, sports bar, you name it, Horseshoe Bay has it for you. HSB Resort is a place to find them. We're going to wrap up this segment. I hope you enjoyed the interview we just did with Gary McCord. Uh, he had said some interesting things, I thought. I thought there was some insight uh, on the current state of the game uh, and the way these elevated events and the non-designated events are playing with each other. I think he makes an interesting point about the haves and the have-nots. You know, We've got some events here with the Valero Texas Open. Uh, we just lost the Dell Technologies match play. Uh, it wasn't a sponsorship deal necessarily, but I think when you elevate events and you de-emphasize some others, I think we're going to see some attrition. I, I think uh, Gary McCord's point about the Honda Classic, not only losing the title sponsor from Honda, maybe having their their uh, spot on the calendar in jeopardy. You know, being sandwiched in between two designated events is a bit of a perilous thing when you got guys that take weeks off. I mean, look no further than this week. It's it looks like Rory McElroy cited fatigue for taking the RBC Heritage off. But as you saw in the Netflix documentary, uh, when Rory was was campaigning that the, his fellow players just needed to suck it up and be a little less pampered and buck up and play play in the designated events because they get to choose all the other events they get to play in, and that doesn't exist in any other sport. Uh, Rory kind of had to eat that a little bit. And, and if, if the reports are true, Rory's going to have to be fined $3 million for missing the RBC heritage and another designated event earlier this month. Now, Rory McElroy can, can afford that, but it's just the sort of new world order that we're seeing on the PGA tour with designated events and non-designated events and how that's shaking out. Uh, the big shakeout we're going to see later in the year, well, when some of these smaller events, that don't have the larger fields. The guys are allowed to take off. Some of these top 50 players are allowed to not be involved in. And what does that look like? What are the provisions for getting some of those guys to play it to kind of, kind of bolster the product for the PGA Tour? I don't think the goal for the PGA Tour is to have fewer events or ultimately less sponsorship money in there. They ultimately want to make it a better product and I, I, I really feel like a Jimmy Walker winning this weekend could could be a big blow for uh, 
the the smaller guys. I think those are the kinds of things that need to happen in some of these designated events and some of the events that, that earn points for designated events really need to be uh, dominated by the little guys, the, the hungry up-and-comers. I, I think that needs to be the new state of things on the, on the PGA Tour. Hopefully that's the case. But uh, again, Gary McCord talking about the impact of live golf. Uh, he seems to be not so dead set against live golf. I, 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 I think a lot of people that, that have been around the tour a long time are seeing what live catalyzed and making the tours product better, m- making opportunities for players to share in the, in the, in the wealth and in the revenue generation by the PGA tour is coming to fruition. So uh, very interesting for a guy that played in the seventies, eighties into the nineties to uh, kind of give his insight on how the tours evolved rather rapidly over the past couple of years. Uh, just really interesting to see what's again, like we said, what's going to happen with some of these smaller events. I mean, uh, Gary pointed to the, to the, uh, the event in Memphis and, and, you know, we've moved, we've moved events around from Chicago. doesn't have a, a full-time tour event anymore. Washington DC gets it some of the time. It's just really interesting how, how the tour has evolved. And what it's going to be, what does it look like in five years when the sponsors really have to make decisions about, do they go all in on, on designated elevated events or do they stay true to some of the markets where they've built a personality, where they've built a rapport, where they've supported charities in communities for decades on end. It's really going to be interesting the next literally year to the next five years on the PGA tour. As we see how the sponsorship game evolves. Uh, We mentioned it earlier. The horn is your place for preview coverage of the University of Texas orange and white game, the spring football game for the University of Texas Longhorns. There's a lot of questions to be answered. They won't all get solved in the spring. They never do. Spring's a lot different than than fall football, as we well know. But all eyes are going to be on the quarterback battle with Quinn Ewers. Uh, Arch Manning's going to have some things to say about that, as will Malik Murphy. I, I, I think... Really going to be interesting to see what we can see, if anything, out of the quarterback core that shows us anything leading into the fall. Uh, Same with the running back core. We know the defense is going to be good. We know the receiving core has a lot to prove. So stay here for the horn. We're going to have normal programming. The Big Ugly Tailgate follows this show here in just a few minutes. They're going to get into some University of Texas football. They're going to get into a broad range of topics. But then at 11, it's full-time orange and white it's going to be the horn as as you know it and love it talking longhorns football for the rest of the day so stay tuned for that enjoy that but more than anything this is a golf show we really hope you know that the page is turned for you it's springtime people rush out to the golf course as soon as they watch the masters everybody gets the bug so i hope you're getting the time to do that um i found myself having to uh really take a mid-morning break in 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 sneak down to the driving range just to get some reps in because uh, it's been a slow start to the year. I think I've only played about seven or eight times all year. That's not very much for, for me, a guy in the golf business, but we hope you find whatever that time is getting out to the range in the afternoon, going first thing in the morning. If you can, hopefully you get your practice in, hopefully you, you get to play the courses you want to play. I, I, I know the Golf courses are, are are full right now. Those tee sheets are packed, but we hope you get your chance to get out there, enjoy the game, make this your best year in golf. Hit us up on the Specs text line. Get in touch with us on social media and let us know how your golf game's going. Let us know what you want to hear more about on this show. But most of all, we thank you for listening. This is, has been Playing Through on the Horn. Thank you to Bob Blue out there in, in Bandon Dunes for letting me rock it solo this week. 
And big thanks to Gary McCord for being a phenomenal guest, telling us stories about Tin Cup, telling us stories about how he got into the game, taking us through memory lane, but telling us he's got some unfiltered stories coming on his podcast with Peter Costas. So stay tuned for that one and listen to us next week here on Playing Through on the Horn, presented by Horseshoe Bay Resort. We look forward to talking to you next week. Go out and make a bunch of birdies, everyone.